Drive here with Allison Fay, Stephanie Ellis, the editors of um, Daughter, Daughters of Darkness 2. Um, yep. Were you the editors of Daughters of Darkness 1 as well? Okay. Yes. Um, and the author, uh, let's see, we have uh, author T.C. Parker, who we'll be referring to as Natalie or Nat, um, Lynn Love, Catherine McCarthy, and Beverly Lee. My God, I just about forgot Beverly. That was, I'd never live that down. <laughs> um, and yeah, and me. Here I am, the lucky guy sitting in the corner just listening to what is sure to be a brilliant conversation. Um, oh. <laughs> hello, everybody. Thank you for being here. Hi, Shane. Hi, Hi Shane. Hey, guys. So uh, who wants to tell me about um, Daughters of Darkness? Brand new to it. Um, I love Daughters of Darkness, too, and I'm going to hunt down the first one as well. Um, but uh, what's what's the deal? Where did this come from? Uh, shall I leave that to Ali to talk about Black Angel and how it came to be? OK, thanks. Yeah. You, can, you can fill in the gaps. We were talking, as we do a lot, and I said, oh, perhaps we should start running a press together. That'd be fun, wouldn't it, Steph? And uh, <laughs> several conversations later, um, we started drawing up a list of ideas. And that was 2020, was it? In lockdown, yeah. Yeah. Um, because we'd already worked on Inferno together, so we knew that as co-editors we were on the same wavelength, and we weren't picking up on different things, and we hadn't fallen out in lumps. So <laughs> after that, I thought, yeah, we should be able to make this work as co-editors. And you got Teresa, who I think you sort of regarded as a mentor, Teresa Derwin, that you wanted to work with. And I brought in Rochelle Dillon, who's the whole US contingent so far for Black Angel, Daughters of Darkness. And we decided we'd give them all, four of us each, about 20,000 words yeah. um, for that anthology. But for Black Angel, we wanted, obviously, it's women um, writing dark fiction or uh, writers who identify as women. But it's also we want to give new voices um, eventually uh, an, a platform and an anthology as well as people who are further along in their career path or are about to go stratospheric like Lynn <laughs> and already <laughs> considerably <laughs> flying um, so people at different points in, in their sort of writing journey we wanted to invite and also have open calls to um, try and bring on board new people that we've not um, uh, connected with before through social media, because so far we're inviting people that we've read their work or admired their work both, that we chat to. Lynn, do you remember where we first connected? I do, yeah, we, we first connected. I entered a competition online on the um, WOMAG Writers website, which specialises in um, women's magazine writing, which I've done previously. And it was a competition to win Maggie of my heart, wasn't it, to win a, a copy? Yes. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I worked far too hard um, on writing a little story in the comments box. Um, and uh, yeah, worked really hard on it. And then we just started chatting, didn't we? Yeah. With, uh, That's right. I could not remember. And I went to your blog and you directed me to where 
some of your stories have been published and then we got talking more and I thought yeah I really like your supernatural creepy style mm. so, so then we we sort of came up with the name and the logo and from there it's sort of grown is there anything you want to add Steph? Yeah I, I just think it's the Daughters of Darkness format is something that hasn't really been done too much because you can get anthologies out there and you're fighting with not fighting literally but you're you're competing for attention amongst I don't know a dozen or more other authors but we thought if you have fewer authors and four was a nice number and you have a bigger space so it's like a showcase really so it's a space for other uh, female writers to show their their talents and what they could do and as you say, the first one was just because the four of us had been chatting and then we started to branch out. And what got me was we'd been following Bev and, and Kath already. Mm. All oh, right, you know, they should be noticed more. And as we got the book ready, they'd already taken off. So I just. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it was also nice to be able to bring, I mean, you introduced me to Lynn um, for Inferno with her limbo story, which mm. was brilliant. And reading what she did for Dots of Darkness again was fantastic. And I thought this is someone that hasn't been out there much in terms of the, you know, in the indie market, all the stories that we see. And I really wanted to see more of her work. But now she's on the way up and leaving us behind, I think. So you've just both got such good taste. That's what it is. You just... Thank you. <laughs> I agree. I agree 100 percent, Lynn. Um, I had I had the fortune of reading uh, Beverly's entries in there um, prior to prior to the publication. Um, everything else was new to me, but um, it's uh, yeah, it's definitely definitely a cover to cover collection of up and coming superstars, in my opinion. Uh, cover work by my buddy Max Stark, I believe. Is that correct? Yeah. 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 And also, I mean, Nat's work, we admire very much as well. And yes. It was really when we asked for our dream team um, second time round, I didn't think we'd get all four of the ladies. I thought one or two of them would be busy on other projects. And when they all came on board, I was I was really, really pleased um, with that uh, and surprised. But yeah, and, and the work that you all delivered was just um, so clean the text there was so little sort of actual editing or proofreading needed which is a dream because as oh, you yes. all know I worked as an editor with indie publishers and 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 not all the manuscripts are very um finished or there so they require a lot more input yeah. and on the back of that me and Steph are going to the ghost story festival in Derby in uh, the UK in two weeks time because I know Alex who organizes it and he's He's happy to support us and give us um, space at the festival to talk about our writing and, and Black Angel, which is great. I'm feeling really bad because I forgot to mention that because she's the little circle in the corner. At the moment. <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry, <laughs> and I, I should just say that I think I've pretty much got every book she's written. I haven't read the latest one. It's the Mermaid one. It's on the Kindle. Maiden, the one. Maiden, that's it. Why do I call it Mermaid? Maiden. Yeah, I'm allowed to have a bit of brain fog at my age, <laughs> but I have read everything she's got. And if there's any BBC editors out there who wants to put the thriller online, they should read read her thrillers. There we go. Sorry, Nat. 
no thank you so much. <laughs> you know I love those books it's like it's, you know they're just like the little sad abandoned children in the corner <laughs> oh there's nothing sad about them I love those characters no I think it's just it's it's funny enough actually I was talking to E about this the other day um that I think horror sorry this is a massive tangent but you know because horrors um there's such a strong community for it you know what I mean there's such a there's a strong indie horror community there's a strong kind of mainstream horror enthusiast community I think it's kind of sort of horror it's easier to have a sort of higher profile within the horror community but I think also more generally and because it's it's so clearly pegged as a specific genre whereas I think you know sort of things in the kind of crime thriller space it's always a bit more nebulous mm-hmm. sorry anyway I digress wildly <laughs> Do you think that's a good thing? Sorry, I was just saying, do you think it's a good thing that we all sort of know each other in, in a small genre? Or do you find that that's hard as you try and sort of make your way up there? Oh, I, de- I mean, I definitely think I, I think for horror, funnily enough, I was having a conversation about this earlier. I think for horror, it's um, it's a double edged sword in some ways. I think it's a really positive thing because I mean, on a personal note, and I, I know it's all the same for you guys, like I've, it. I've made some really lovely friends you know what I mean and and it's lovely to know that when you read people's work and you enjoy what they're writing you can then kind of connect with them and you can keep conversations going and it it it, it becomes so much more than just enjoying people's books you know what I mean there's kind of a whole social dimension to it too but um I think sometimes I think sometimes it can be kind of a double-edged sword because you don't go into things blind you know what I mean and you, you kind of second get I think because I edit as well um same as Ali and it's kind of you you find when you're editing things that you hear the writer's voice in your head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think sometimes that can be a bit like, oh, but, uh, <laughs> anyway. but yeah, I, I think, I mean, I really enjoy it. I really enjoy being part of the horror community. I'm not sure whether there's an analogous kind of crime thriller community. I know there are obviously there's crime, there's kind of there's crime fiction spaces online, but it isn't clearly delineated genre, but it's, I think the, the types of books that get pegged as crime or thriller tend to be mm. less obviously generically categorization, oh, be yeah. categorizable, you know? And they and they are um there there is a community of indie crime writers, you know, that is pretty pretty easy to pinpoint and categorize, but they're um there's a very, very, very huge division, you know, it's like um um, I can go online and talk to CJ Tudor and she'll talk back to me, you know. Um, in most cases, you can go online and talk to your favorite insert big five crime author here and they won't talk back to you because it's a totally different community and they, and they don't know you from Adam and don't want to, you know. So, yeah, like you say, that's the one side of that sword is that in the horror community, um, it does tend the the word community is more applicable, I think. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, I think also, I mean, horror horror more generally extends beyond, and I mean, horror narrative worlds extend. Sorry, there's still fucking fireworks going on outside. What's wrong with people? Sorry. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> but, um, I think horror horror. Sorry, I don't know if you guys can hear this, but it's driving me insane. Um, horror more generally I think it extends beyond just sort of written fiction or screen fiction I think there's you know there's a whole kind of one of the things I I found most interesting actually about the indie horror community when I first got involved with it was that people care about merchandise they care about you know sort of all these things that I would have thought previously as adjacencies 
but that you know, if people collect horror books or horror stories or horror films then they probably also collect horror posters they collect you know little chucky dolls and all the kind of peripheral materials whereas i'm not sure that that's necessarily always the case with crime fiction no i think there's an enthusiasm for horror that there isn't necessarily always the case with something like crime or certainly detective fiction right yeah just, we kind of have our own uh, little culture i'm just holding up oogie boogie here for <laughs> <laughs> My little collection. <laughs> I think it's fallen off the table. There we go. And Shane's sitting here surrounded by Buddhas, so I'm not going to really show off my de- decor. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing scary about a bunch of smiling fat dudes. <laughs> well, but. Oh, sorry. Yeah, shall I jump in with a question? It's very. It's, yes. it's very it's very strange because now I feel like I'm asking Steph questions and she's she's part of the crew. So <laughs> I'm, this is this is for Steph and and for Ali as well. What is your vision for the future for uh, for Black Angel Press? To give as many writers as we can a helping hand up the ladder or out into the world of writing. Mm-hmm. Um, we may not get them, you know, as high as they want to go, but we, we'll be a platform, a place to go where they will be welcome and they'll get support. I think sometimes you you sign up for something and it can be quite a, a difficult experience. But I think especially, I know I bang on about it sometimes, being older, I sometimes feel that there are a lot of older writers out there as well who feel that maybe they they'll be looked down on a little bit when they come into the genre, you know, it's a young person's game or something like that. But we we don't want that. We want to be a place where we are accepting and welcoming and Mm -hmm. can support or give advice. I mean, sometimes it will work out, sometimes it won't. But we'll do whatever we can to help people on their Mm -hmm. writing career. And it doesn't have to be when you're in your mid-20s or mid-30s. It can be when you're like this bloke on TikTok who was, Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it can be at any age and that's that's what I would like to see a welcoming platform to support and promote other writers yeah that's that's that, that's admirable so will there be a Daughters of Darkness 3 next year yeah I think so yeah good and, and we also have plans to expand I think into um, dark poetry and we've certainly want to expand the blog um and with a poetry column and to start doing some sort of perhaps interactive feedback and maybe submissions i mean steph writes a lot more dark poetry than i do and has collections out but i want to put my own collection out for me in a few uh months and we, we i still write some and yes there's the anthologies i would like us to get a higher profile i'd like to be a regular back at Alex's festivals and, and it would be nice to sell more copies in time um, without being too um, materialistic about it it would be nice to sell more than 10 or 15 copies um, and get our, our work out there wider why not and it it's doable I think so we've got plans for the blog we've got a, a specific special exclusive announcement which we're making at the festival and we're going to go in poetry as well next year We've we've discussed all that, haven't we, Steph? 
<laughs> yes, we have. Um, I can't think of anything else to add to that. I mean, I have got another poetry project that will be out with Black Angel probably, um, which you know about, but I'll be saying maybe in December we might be announcing something then. Tease. Mm, um, yes. <laughs> and yeah. there are some biggish names in the poetry, not poetry field involved in mm. that. Um, but we're, we're just sort of gathering things together at the moment and then that'll that'll be out. So that'll be something under Black Angel. Um, I can't think of anything else, really. It's just, I just well, remember that's, us that's discussing. Not, that's, not enough, <laughs> that's not enough doing all of that. I, I just keep thinking back to the time when we were talking about working together. And uh, like Ali said, oh, we, you know, we, we do something. And I was thinking in terms of a project. And then the next thing I, I knew was we'd got a press. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a bit like that. I mean, Steph is, we are, I think, complementary because Steph is very much more techie and practical, both in her background than I am. I've had to really learn new skills. Um, and I've got the editing sideline going on, which I do quite a bit of. And I've had another invite, which I won't reveal yet, to work with another um, Litvik Press because it's not absolutely signed, but I was very excited about that. I've mentioned that to Steph. So I bring, I hope, that and I've got the, whoa, let's go do all this. And then Steph's like, well, hang on, let's nail this down for practicalities. So I think that's very complimentary. Well, it works, I think it works for both of us. And we, we talk about a lot of stuff. So I think we're very open um, to new ideas. Are you are you going to um, Chillicon or whatever it's called now ne next April? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I should have a, a new novella out by then, um, sort of January, February time uh, with Silver Shamrock. So it'd be nice to yeah. drop hints about that at the t when I when we get there. <laughs> well, I will, I will, I will see you there. Oh, if, it, if it goes ahead, I think it's been cancelled four times now, hasn't it? Yes. Yeah, I got in touch with Marie a little while ago and she said it's all, you know, ongoing and everything still stands. So I'm going there as a as a part of the audience so I'm not taking part in anything as such but I just want to sort of meet people in the flesh and say hello and have a proper natter so whoever's there we can go and grab a drink and have a chat yeah. um I think Ali might be doing a panel or something yeah I think Marie was going to get back to me and Paul on that I was originally asked to do a panel as a reviewer um which is uh, interesting and quite I obviously like us all I still review and I might be doing that it shows you how many times it's been cancelled, though, because when I originally said I would go, I was I was going to do a reading because The Rune of Delicate Things was out, and that was like two books ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are you are you are you going up, Kathleen, to Scarborough to Chillicon next next April? No, no I'm not. No, it's 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 the it's the it's the Stoker Awards that that were that we were supposed to be having the Stoker Awards in in Britain t two years ago and with Covid it, it was cancelled so it would have been lovely to actually have the proper oh, awards yeah. here but uh, but then we, we'd all booked tickets and we'd booked hotels so then they just kept being rolled over and rolled over. Yeah yeah well this, this particular one in Derby has been sold out the workshops he's running more 
So I think everyone's so excited to, we've got a real life event to get to uh, for the first time since uh, we've opened up. So I think that will be very busy and will be a sign of how busy Chilicon will be as yeah. well. Is um is is the venue like in the middle of Derby or is it like on yeah. the outskirts? No, right bang in the middle. Oh, yeah. It's um because I've been to Derby a few times. Never thought Derby would become so central to my life. Actually, I've been about six times, and it's opposite the Premier Inn, and it's in the art centre. But he's also moved some of the events to the Museum of Making Things, so the bookstore. Uh, for the first time, the bookstore will be there. So it's obviously got bigger. Um. Than it was a couple of years ago. It's always a good yeah. place to go for this, you know, for Edgelit and Sledgelit, because you get a lot of um, recognised authors there as well as the indie crew, and it's mm. it's quite a sociable thing, isn't it, Ali? Yeah. It's, yeah. It's we get your panels and your workshops and things. Mm. I just I tend to go to panels rather than workshops, but mm. I've really enjoyed it. Are you, <laughs> are you are you calling in that? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I'm only sorry. That's why it was so funny when Ali was saying, I just didn't imagine that would be central to our life because I'm in Leicester. I'm literally just down the road. So I I mean, it, yeah, if it, um, I don't think I've got my kids that weekend either. So, I, yeah, I mean, I'm hoping that I can be there most of the Saturday. Good. Well, that, the, two years ago, I interviewed Alison Littlewood and had a really great chat with her and uh, a few other people like James Brogdon, because I did a write-up for Horror Tree. So everyone's very accessible. Adam Neville was there. Um, oh, brilliant. Yeah, and um, Laura Purcell. So, I mean, it's it's stalker heaven, really, because so, they can't really <laughs> turn you away. Oh, <laughs> I, I sit up close and ask them what they want, and, you know, there's no escape, and there's the bar as well. So <laughs> I'm from friending them on TikTok, <laughs> please. <laughs> Because Paul Tremblay was there one year and I went round to every panel that he was doing. <laughs> Came away with his signature in the end. But yeah. But there's that there's that awkward moment when you recognise someone and you go up to them and then you have a blank on the name of their book. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I did upset James Brogdon because I asked him if this is his first or second, and he clearly wasn't happy because he was on his third or his fourth. And he was a bit, <laughs> he was a bit shirty with me about that. But he did sign the book anyway. Um, you know, it's a, always uh, unsurprising to me to discover that some of us are drinkers. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, I've never actually been to a convention before, but I've been to a bar convention. I don't know if you guys do those there or not, but that's the convention and the bar attached to the hotel that everybody goes to for the convention um from i've been told it's much greater fun but you know <laughs> it's also it's a great place it's a great place to go and stock writers too you know <laughs> just watch for your watch for your favorite writers come to conventions in your city and go to that bar <laughs> and um so, I'm, I'm on a panel with mark morris and laura maru Marrell. Laura, Laura. Anyway, I'm really chuffed about that. And who are you on with, Steph? Uh, is it Simon Chadwick, I think, and Tracy Farley? This is where I'm going to get everything. Uh, yeah, yes. That's the folk yeah. horror panel. It's the first one of the day, so I can get it over and done with. Uh, I've today. I went through the question, questions and done my revision, so hopefully mm. I'll remember what I'm talking about. But mm. It's going to be a laugh. Yeah, yeah, that's a good panel for you. You're a natural. I don't know. 
I remember a few years back we were in the audience at um, the quad and Ali was saying, oh, one day I'm going to be up there on the panel. And I said, well, you you can, you know. <laughs> I'm just sitting in the audience. <laughs> and no, now I, I said, I'm not there was an opportunity there because the people up there had all signed contracts and they got mm. agents and then somebody asked about how to get in at the ground level and where to start submitting and what that was like and they'd forgotten and they didn't really know because they're all getting commissioned and paid for and I thought but I know what that's like because I'm getting rejected all the time and I'm submitting to all these tiny little magazines and I think that's when I said to Steph yeah. you know there is a gap there and I quite fancy going up there and talking about that because I'm not so far up that I've not forgotten what it's like to be completely squashed and um, rejected and forgotten. And I'm not actually, as you probably all know, writing a novel and I'm not that motivated about writing a novel. So I'm perfectly happy writing short and flash and poetry. So there's quite a lot of the people at the convention writing novels as well. And that's a big thing for them. But everybody's sort of got different interests. Yep. Mm. I, I agree. Um, what, what about? Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was sort of linking in with that. I, I've got a question to all of you. Um, how difficult have you found it in general to get your work out there and to be read by other people, especially as being women in horror and women of quieter horror? Anybody for anybody can go first. Okay. Maybe Nat, she's silent in the corner, and then I'll have to get first. I don't know whether I'm slightly in the minority, I suppose, because I I've not tried to get traditionally published. Um, so I kind of everything I've done has been indie. In fact, you you guys are my only publisher. <laughs> um, so I I don't in in that sense I don't really know because I don't have a lot of experience of trying to you know what I mean kind of trying to have other people beyond the horror community read my stuff I guess um what I will say is because I obviously I've just I've written Maiden with somebody um with E Edward Lawton um and although he's writing under a pseudonym for it he's got a thousand different pseudonyms that dude um anyway so uh, the, the <laughs> I think the Lord Nerdlow Lord Nerdlow only has one of the credits so far and it's a sort of parody Christmas horror which I would recommend to everybody. Yeah. I'm trying to remember what it was. The, oh, holy shit. He does one every year. Um, anyway, so he, yeah. um, right, co-writing with E, I think, has um, exposed me to slightly different audiences because he has slightly different audiences because he does kind of lots of different types of content. Um, and he, he's got sort of his YouTube channel and he reviews. And so he does slightly different things. But in terms of the stuff that I do solo, um, I've very much just been kind of writing for the horror community and within the horror community. Um, having said that, obviously, I've written the crime trilogy that nobody's read. So if anybody's <laughs> listening and would like some crime thrillers to give to their parents or their children for Christmas, you know where to find them. Well, actually, you don't. I've just realised because I've not named them. Sorry, they're called The Debts, The Push and The Remembrance. <laughs> I get uh, we get authors all the time on this and um, and Kaiser will say, and read my book. <laughs> and, you know, like, OK, but there's another part to that sentence. <laughs> and I, I'm terrible about it. <laughs> it's so difficult, though. And I think, I mean, Kath, I know you were posting about that um, earlier. I saw that on Twitter. Like, you know, the kind of the, the self-promote, the difficulty of indie is the, the, you know, the kind of constant need to self-promote. And yeah. it comes very 
it, it comes very uneasily to me but I think more generally you know it's a sort of British trait yeah. <laughs> it feels definitely it feels uncomfortable yeah yeah it, it feel it feels wrong to keep saying read my book read my book it just yeah. not something that as, as a Brit we'd like to do no, no definitely <laughs> but it's definitely, it's definitely something that I've noticed oh sorry no, I'm just saying, if we don't do it, we haven't got anyone else to do it for us, have we, if we're indie? Well, that's right. it, absolutely. And also, I mean, I think there's, because there's kind of a, I was having this conversation earlier as well, actually, there's, I think there's a really marked difference between the way that self-promotion's conceived of in, sort of, it, kind of in, in England, Wales, Ireland, you know, kind of, and, and Northern Europe, I would say more generally, versus the US, and where yeah. it's very much, you know, kind of, it, it's fine to have confidence in your stuff if you're proud of it. You know, and it's it's fine to say, you know, I wrote this, I'm proud of it, I'm very happy to put it out there in the world. And there's no stigma attached to that. Whereas yeah. whenever I just mention that I once wrote a book, I kind of want to die a little bit inside. Yeah. yeah. And it's it, it's such a discrepancy. So I think absolutely as as some non-American horror writers, there's definitely more of an onus on us to talk about the stuff that we do just because it's it really is. it's more it's more difficult otherwise to get it talked about at all. Yeah. I, th I think sometimes as well with, with social media, we, we sometimes feel that we're inundating the, the same people with the same things. But like Twitter, for instance, different people are on Twitter at different times. So then you could post 12 times about your book in one day. But if they're not on at the opportune time, they're not going to see it. So you're not shouting at them. So hopefully you get to more people if you post more and you don't annoy them, I hope. Right. Absolutely. And also, there's nothing, I know logically, there's nothing wrong with saying, you know, we've written some books, here are the books we've written, you might enjoy them. Don't worry if you don't, you know what I mean? Uh, and it's like we've said about uh, uh, Americans, I mean, we're traditionally narcissistic, you know, and it's like, hey, look, I wrote a fucking sentence on the bathroom wall, come read it, everybody, you know, um, but uh you know that's kind of been our tradition ever since we started this country is look at us you know let's make some noise <laughs> um so there but there, but there are admiral admiral sides to both approaches though you know i think you know some restraint is good i you know the people who pepper my feed with 65 banner ads most of them their own in a day generally don't stay in my feed very long you know but people who don't say anything don't get anybody's notice either so you know you definitely have to um absolutely and also this I, I mean like I said that I know logically there's nothing wrong with being proud of something that you've produced if you're proud of it I mean obviously right. if I'm not proud of it I am inclined to just be quiet <laughs> to be honest <laughs> you know if it's something that you've written that you are to promote if it's for charity or if I've edited it yeah. for daughters it's easier if I'm a bit more distanced or yes. like yes. silent screen because I'm raising funds for a homeless charity I am not as comfortable otherwise and I don't like a lot of us enjoy it at all and I haven't got a marketing background so I don't really know what I'm doing um, and it is I think as we've said counterintuitive to that very British feeling of oh, oh we, we 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 don't do that we don't talk about our achievements like that um, which is right. very 1950s cultural yes yeah. absolutely um, so it's slightly undignified about drawing attention to yourself isn't it yeah that's, yeah that's obviously in the national psyche isn't it <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's easier for doing it for Black Angel because I'm doing it for other people 
as well. Mm -hmm. right. So it's not quite so much about read my stuff as read everybody else's. That's mm -hmm. probably true of, of other people as well. And that's kind of where you come from, isn't it, though? Same as me, you were a reviewer. Um, were you, Allie? Was I a? You no. were a reviewer previously, or are? Or... Oh, yeah, I review still a lot, yeah. yeah. Originally, I was a teacher and a tutor, Shane, so I've got right, really right. No, no marketing background or at all. Right. Um, but, yeah, I review as well and uh, yeah. still quite a lot, yeah. yeah. But that's see, that's much easier for me to talk about all of your books. Um, I can that's you know, I can uh spend all day long without any any um res reservation whatsoever preaching about everybody else's books on social media, mm. you know. And then somebody says, Oh, hey, I read your poem in this, and I'm like, Oh my god, what do I say? Mm. Yeah. You know. <laughs> And I always think everyone else is better. I mean, my, my perception is Steph does it better, Nat does it better. You all do it better than I do. Um, and you probably do, but that's the feeling that you're more organized, you're more connected, you're more, well, just better at it. I won't say that so much, Lynn, because I know having spoken and emailed with Lynn, Lynn it's not something Lynn does a lot um, of anyway. So that's why. I think going back to Steph's original question, shall, shall I jump in, Steph, on this one? Do you, do you need me to repeat the question, anybody? Repeat the question, please, yes. <laughs> How difficult have you found it in general to get your work out there and read? Sorry about that. Oh, okay, well, I started way back in 2015. Um, and that's the year that I wrote The Making of Gabriel Davenport. And really the only social media site I was on, I was kind of on Twitter on and off, but my main social media site was Instagram. And really it was it was through the Bookstagram community and almost like one reader at a time. I was very lucky to get in at the, the bottom end of when the big, the big Bookstagrammers now, people like Sadie Hartman, Mother Horror, were there in their infancy, um, a lot of other bookstagrammers that have now gone viral and just getting them to read my work and I've kind of stayed with them as I've, I've moved up through the books so it's just a matter I think of getting in with the right community and building your readership one reader at a time. Kath? Mm. 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 Um, for me I would definitely say and I would advise others to contribute to anthologies um, because I think that definitely gave me a foot in the door in the first place, because I think it was just about two years now that I had my first acceptance in an anthology. I didn't even realise that there was such a thing that you would sub to anthologies. I mean, I've only been on Twitter just over two years, so it's been a real steep learning curve for me this last two years. Um, so I, I think that's a really good way of getting so you know a lot of different people to read your work mm. in an anthology, and then if they like what you write there, they tend to seek you out for your own work later on. So I would say, even though at the moment I'm trying to target more sort of um, professional rate markets, which is another joke really to try and break through, I'm getting this slowly and gradually, but. Um, and now I'm lucky enough to be having invites as well. 
but um, I would advise even, you know, people starting off maybe to even be willing to contribute to anthologies where they just get paid royalties or, you know, a token payment. I don't, I don't think necessarily you should give your work away for nothing because at the end of the day, it's taking your time. But if that's what people want to do, fair enough. But I think, you know, it is quite important to start, be prepared to start at the bottom then and work your way up, you know, as with other things in life, really. Yeah, or, or even like a charity anthology, because, I mean, that's where... Yeah. That's where most of us, not Lynn or Nat, but the the rest of us, we 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 met on um, Diabolical Diapo- Britannica. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Which, Which seems a very long time ago now. I know. <laughs> reviews. That's probably one of the most reviewed anthologies I've ever been in. Um, so, as you say, really got our work out there to a lot of readers potentially. Yeah. In. Yeah. Um, I, I haven't submitted all that much stuff. I just, re- well, I've submitted a fair amount, a lot of rejections. <laughs> so I've not actually been in anything very much. But I did end up sort of segueing into the women's fiction market, so women's magazines and things. And I focused on that for a while. So that was, and that was a really good training ground. So it was not necessarily the kind of subjects and tone that I would write naturally Mm. but I did have to write to very specific word counts and within time frames and actually produce synopses which are horrifying for anyone who's ever had to write one um so that was a good training ground and um but yeah very very different from any kind of anthology work or you know, the act, actually trying to get into the horror community, I found very difficult until I met you lovely people who've been <laughs> fantastic at helping to get me yeah. yeah, into the odd anthology and things, which I'm very, very grateful for. Mm. I think as well as um, being, you know, having the British attitude like Nat was speaking about, which is absolutely true, Um I think as well, I'm absolutely useless at sort of asking for help and I'll take things very literally. So if I see a blogger or a reviewer and you look at their sort of um, their profile and it says closed for reviews, to me, that's closed for reviews. <laughs> I don't I wouldn't approach that person. And then you see them then um, blogging and, and sort of reviewing all these people's work and you think, I thought they were closed for reviews, but I, I will take that very literally. And I, I sort of don't like to tread on people's toes and I won't ask for help unless I know someone really well. And I think that's done me a disservice as well. But again, that's part of the British attitude. Well, I think it speaks to a wider thing about networking as well, because I think that's the other thing. One of the I mean, to Steph's point earlier, you know, about the horror community and the benefits of it. It's just nice chatting to people who are nice and interesting and intelligent and who you've got things in common with you know what I mean and I think that it almost feels it feels a little bit wrong to then try and network you know what I mean it's almost it's almost like these are kind of separate streams it's like if I'm having kind of a daft conversation with Steph about you know what I mean like about like I don't know sort of like a I can't know what they're called, like a nodding dog, Chucky doll, or you know what I mean? Something like that. It seems ridiculous then to be like, oh, by the way, have you read my new novel? You know, it, it's kind of, it's sort of crossing the streams slightly. And I, I think, 
I don't know. And I, I do think that there are people that are better at it than others. And I do think that there are people that approach it with more of a professionalized eye. Because um, I do think to some extent, if you want to be read in indie, then, you know, there, there is an element of networking involved and it doesn't have to be done cynically. And sometimes it does happen organically. You know what I mean? Like I've met yeah. you guys. I've met sort of Kev Harrison and, and you know, sort of Ross and obviously A that I write with and Darren, you know, kind of, been, sort of Hayley Pike and various other people who are just lovely, who are now friends, which is delightful. But equally, you know, there's sort of reviewers and certainly reviewers that do it kind of professionally or semi-professionally. If it's their job, then obviously you're to some extent you need to treat your interaction with them as a, a professionalized thing too and I find that really problematic if I've just got away from a conversation where we've been talking about you know Clue or I'm trying to think of another film that I really enjoy and I just keep coming back to Clue you know what I mean <laughs> I do watch other movies but um you know what I mean there is that element of like where's you know where does it begin to be a professional conversation or a conversation about work and where does it cease to be a conversation about shared interests and you know just kind of having a laugh yeah, it's like it's like wearing different hats, isn't it? You feel like you have to take one off and then stick another one on to go. Yes. <laughs> it's like um, on Horror Tree, I do the uh, indie bookshelf um, releases post and it's a free bit of marketing. Mm-hmm. And I I end up trawling. Uh, there's a couple of indie uh, publisher Facebook sites and I go on there and see what's been released. Or I might drop into the HWA or see on Twitter. But I have to remind people and you I keep thinking that everybody says it's hard, the marketing aspect. And I thought, oh, they'd be sending me all this stuff and I don't have to go looking. But I'm always having to put a request out because people keep saying, oh, we didn't like to ask or whatever. (laughs) It's free and, you know, it helps everybody. So that's that's a plug for all indie writers out there. If you've got a new book out coming out soon, send it to Horror Trim. We'll, you know, put it up on the bookshelf. And there's places you there. There's places like that. I mean, Ginger Nuts of Horror is very good. Um, Kendall Reviews. I don't know if any of you know of any others, but they're they're all there, and they've got this sort of broad range of um, tools for marketing. I think Ginger Nuts has got its own templates for interviews and all sorts. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just, I'm, I'm, I don't I don't get around to doing it half the time. I know Ali does, um, but it is there, but we don't use it. Mm. Yeah, there's a horror oasis as well. Um, I know Andrew is uh, a great supporter of uh, the indie yes. community. Mm. I mean, I've I've turned to Gavin Handel at Candle Reviews quite a lot because um, I can't remember when we first connected. It might have been the night of the rider, but he's he's always been very supportive. And I've also said now, and he's happy for me to write articles for Candles about vintage. Um, uh black and white horror films from the 20s 30s and 40s so i'll be doing a ad hoc column um for him every so often so one thing's led to another um i feel i've got more of a link there than i have with um say ginger nuts but at one time i think steph was more connected with ginger nuts i think yeah not not as much but it's like a i don't know what you describe it as but with horror tree and ginger nuts you sort of promote each other a little bit Mm. So it's yeah, real, absolutely. Real and I think that's the other great thing. I mean, about both of them actually, like Jim at Ginger Nuts and Gavin, like they're sorry, Gavin at uh, Kendall, and they 
it's it's not just the transactional please review my book thing you know what I mean it's kind of mm -hmm. you know come and talk about something that you find interesting and then you mm -hmm. can mention your book at the end and it, it becomes part of this broader discourse so I'm aware that discourse now whenever I say it it comes with like a capital D and it sounds like I'm weighing in with a deliberately controversial <laughs> opinion I mean it in the academic sense but like there's this you know what I mean you, you become part of a conversation about something that you're interested in and enthusiastic about that other people if they're interested in and enthusiastic about it will want to talk to you about and it it isn't just this transactional buy my book thing or please review my book and get other people to buy it you know it's it's much more of a talk about things that you're interested in tell us about them and then other people can read about that and there's a lot to that um like from a reviewer standpoint, I mean, um, any place that I'd ever mentioned that I was a reviewer now says I don't accept requests, but people, but I do reach out to people who really interest me and request material to read and review. Hmm. Um, so yeah, really, that's a big part of the game now. I think is make people interested in you, the person, yes. um, yeah. and and they they're interested in your work will follow if they mm -hmm. if it's something they're inclined to. Yeah, well, so. also just more generally, and I think in in sort of in in writing and in publishing, as yeah. in sort of work and professional lives more generally, just don't be a dick, you know. Yeah. It's like just being pleasant yeah. to people really does help a great deal. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right, Shane. I, I agree, and um, I think that that's you know why I like to post um, photographs of the walks we do and the models that Tony makes and so on, just so that people get to know me more as a person, not just, you know, from the point of view of my books, mm, right. you know, get to know your, your personality and, you know, your sense of humour and so on. And your taste in music, if you may. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's right, though, because it gives you, a, you know, a fuller picture, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's not restricted to the indie world at all. Again, I mean, so this ties in with the conversation I was having earlier about the same thing. Traditional publishing yeah. is very much about branding. And maybe it didn't used yeah. to be historically, but you're buying an authorial brand. And it's no different doing that in indie circles than it is doing that in WH Smith's or Barnes and Noble. Yeah. You know, you're yeah. you're buying a brand, you're buying an established brand. And as a as a publisher, you're creating a brand for audiences to buy. Yeah. It just means when you when you go an indie route, all it means is that you're contributing more than you would do otherwise to the creation of your own brand. Yeah. 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 Uh, more sometimes everything. Um, except for, you know, I strongly recommend, you know, not contributing things you don't know how to do to your own brand. But, We've all accidentally published something that has the work in progress cover attached to it, Shane. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that was for the best of us. <laughs> yeah, just be really careful before you hit publish is what I would say. <laughs> That's my advice for you. <laughs> I would be so terrified. I would sit there in terror until somebody came along and told me it was okay. <laughs> I'm. Uh, I think I. I think I'll always probably publish through indie presses, but I can't hold my own hand. I have to have somebody hold it for me. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, I'm. I'm terrified of that. I, I don't. I don't pay enough attention to detail to self pub. But uh, 
I'm getting sidetracked. Uh, but I did let everybody answer the question this time, right, Steph? Yeah, as far as I'm aware. <laughs> yeah, I think, I, think, I, think we all answered, I think we all answered that one. Yeah. Um, I got another question going back to um, Dotted of Darkness, and this, this is for everybody that uh, contributed stories. How did you go about choosing the stories that you wanted to write for this particular anthology? We'll go to you first, Matt. Um, right. So I actually write. I um I write it sort of from scratch. So I um because I because I don't do um sort of traditional publishing and I don't work with a publisher. I I literally Steph just sent me an email and I was like, well, that sounds like a good idea. I like Steph and Ali. Hell yeah. <laughs> so so it kind of I sort of sat down and kind of thought about what I wanted to write rather than I I haven't got a I can't remember what they're called. Like a, is it a chest or like a you know um, where people have got a backlog of stories that they've mm. published. Um, I, I don't have that. I have nothing. Everything that I've got is either something that I'm working on now or something that I've already put out. Um, so I just uh, literally was kind of sitting down and thinking of ideas. I like the idea of because um, I just I just had a long conversation with Josh Malaman, um just after he put out Goblin. Mm. And um, one of the things that I found interesting about Goblin and actually about um, Alan Baxter's Gulp was the idea of interconnected novelettes. Mm -hmm. And so I really wanted to do something like that as a kind of format. So I, I found that really interesting. So I like the idea of using Daughters of Darkness to kind of tell interconnected stories. Um, the other thing actually that was really interesting from my perspective was I'm terrible at writing short stories. I, I can't write them, I've tried, but the, the, one I, the one I've written for Inferno is the only short story of mine in existence, I think. <laughs> um, but it, it just does not come naturally at all. And I, I sit down to try and write a short story and it turns into a 120,000 words epic <laughs> or Beowulf. But um, yeah. I, so I was, yeah, I was, I was quite keen to experiment with that kind of format. And it was really lucky actually. And I was delighted that Doors of Darkness has that 20,000 word format. You know, that actually it's, I mean, as you said, it's a showcase more than it's an anthology. Mm. And yeah. that's, I, I find that a lot easier to work within. So it's a lot easier within 20,000 words to build a bit of a world. You know, it's a, yeah. you can create a kind of mini novella or in my case, kind of two interconnected novelettes, which now I'm delighted to say actually has turned into what hopefully will be a sort of six novelette novel. So mm -hmm. like a kind of goblin style goblin. interconnected story, or like the kind of an over, there's an overarching story. Um, but no, I just, I basically, I did it because I love Stefan Alley. Um, and also I was delighted when they said that um, you guys were involved. I was delighted because obviously you're all awesome. And I I read all your stuff before. Um, I know Lynn from the Inferno, the, the Inferno anthology as well. So I was just, I was over the moon to be involved in it. I was also really happy actually to um, get involved with something that, this sounds really awful, like I'm bashing Americans. I'm really not at all, but it, <laughs> horror is so dominated by US writers yeah. or North American mm -hmm. writers. And I was delighted to be involved in something, A, that was you know, very much sort of women-centric. Because, again, it, there's, there's been so much conversation about you know, women within horror and that there, there, has, there is a legacy of misogyny with horror that you can't get away from, um, which, thank God, is changing now. But also there's a, there's a strong legacy of it being U.S.-dominated, ir irrespective of there being you know, really, some really prominent non-U.S. writers. You still think horror. You still walk into a bookshop and see mostly U.S. writers. Mm. You know, you see King, you see Dean Koontz, you see yeah, all that kind of stuff. Um, and I think it, it's lovely actually to write with British women, you know, and to actually to have that that perspective on horror that isn't dominated by you know sort of U.S. regionalism, which is fascinating in itself, which I love. You know, I'm a massive sort of King fangirl, 
but it's a it's a very different take and mm-hmm. folk horror particularly you know you, obviously the UK's got a really rich tradition well UK and Ireland actually both really rich traditions of folk horror and sort of Celtic folk horror which I love which I mean obviously you guys know if you've read anything I've ever written I'm very into <laughs> and it you know you it's a, it's a very different reading experience I would say so that was one of the other big things that I was delighted about then I knew that when I was sitting down to write something for Daughters of Darkness that it would have a bit of a we have a have a British flavour and it mm. have a bit of a kind of folky horror type flavour which hopefully comes out a bit more as I'm sort of expanding that universe oh actually sorry the other thing just I'm conscious that I'm talking a great deal um just really quickly the the other thing that I wanted to do was write something that engaged a little bit with um something that was pissing me off at the time politically I've had this conversation with Steph previously but generally speaking when I sit down to write something I it's you know what am I pissed off about in any given moment <laughs> and um I was right I was reading about the you know the school protests um yeah. in Birmingham and in the UK Shane I don't know if you know this but there's um the last couple of years there have been a lot of um, anti-LGBT uh, school protests um, outside mm-hmm. primary schools especially because there have been changes to the UK curriculum around how to teach sex and relationship education and right. um, and one of the and basically there's a lot of people many of whom don't have kids at the schools that they're picketing <laughs> like getting very <laughs> angry about sex and relationship education taught in particular schools basically and it, it's just it's become a bit of a what word am I looking for? Or attracts them? A magnet, kind of a, a magnet for people with very extreme views on stuff, but don't necessarily who don't necessarily have a horse in the race, but just want to hold a megaphone. And um, so I was quite keen to write something about that because I've I've got primary school age kids, and from my perspective, the worst thing in the world is you know taking them into school and having them be yelled at by lunatics mm, <laughs> about right. you know, how they're. Oh, sorry. The other thing to say, sorry, I know everybody involved in this call knows this, but just for readers, so I'm I'm a gay parent. Um, I have two young kids who are primary elementary um, for US people um, school aged um, and you know I, I share them with another woman and so from my perspective the the worst thing would be to take my kids to school and have somebody you know screaming homophobic abuse at them at my you know six year old so I wanted to write something that kind of because that was you know that was sort of front and center of my mind in terms of what I've been reading in the news I wanted to write something that engaged with that and also engaged with stuff that I'm interested in around kind of folk horror and also small town horror because US US writing again US horror writing has a real legacy of you know small town horror again that kind of king idea of let's let's tell a story around a community and all these kind of festering wombs that are you know around this community so I was quite keen to do something with that so sorry anyway the end somebody else talk now <laughs> I would I would argue that Ramsey Campbell did it before King I think but um, oh god and Barker as well some of the books of, some of the stories in books of blood are very much about yes. you know festering oh, yeah, yeah. within communities <laughs> <laughs> but it's all but uh, I think now because King's yeah. been so big and it's so front and center yeah. when people think about yeah. horror they think about Maine they think about Castle Rock yeah uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah yeah, yeah. Um, uh, what, what about you Lynn <clears throat> what made you choose uh, what, what you wrote for Daughters of Darkness well first of all I'm so glad we're going to get some more hummingbird stories because if you'd left it there it would have driven me absolutely <laughs> but I so need to know what else is going on in that now. Thank um, you. Also so do I so I'm, I'm working through it as we wait. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, it, was, it was a bit of a cheat really because I was working on a, a novel 
that was it's a ghost story set in 1974 and the main character in it is a very elderly retired war photographer lady war photographer called patricia and she i loved her so much that i really wanted to write some more about her and i we've had some um hints about her difficult childhood and the fact that she'd grown up in a haunted house and she'd been a nurse during the first world war and things like that and so i just want i just wanted to write more about patricia so that's what i did i did a sort of slightly tweaked timeline slightly tweaked history of her looking at her her sort of different stages through her childhood about growing up in this haunted house and then her adoration of her brother which comes up in the novel as well and how it's formed her as a person because as a 74 year old woman which is what she is in the novel that I've written she's such a firecracker she's an absolute she's indomitable so I, I just wanted to look at her past as well and to see what she'd been through to go through that this is a bit of an alternative timeline really it's slightly different history of hers um from what we learn about in the novel but yeah i just and it's all you know the novel that i've written is is by the coast and there's crashing seas and storms and lots of ghosts and i liked the idea of a rundown seaside uh the english seaside is one of the most especially in the winter is one of the most depressing haunted <laughs> sort of places that you will ever go to um and i just loved all of that that vibe that does half of you work for you that's yeah. sort of, that sort of setting so yeah that's that's what i wanted to do explore that particular character a little bit more as well and, and, and no doubt that 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 helped possibly with 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 the novel as well the fact that you went more into depth into into this character's history did you did you find that ad, uh, added layers to your actual, your actual novel when you finished it yeah i think i well i'd already written um a first and second draft i suppose so i sort of went back and and when i was writing again the last uh well latest version of it i think it did sort of add it's that deeper understanding, like, like you say, a deeper understanding of, of how she's formed, how she is the person that she is and and why she um, is so bloody minded and and won't be beaten and won't give way to the people who really see her as an outsider. And there's another small town attitude going on there, that she's always been the outsider and she's always different and looked you know, sort of despised slightly. So, yeah, it definitely did help me understand her even more, I think. Yeah. Mm. And how about you, Kath? Well, um, first of all, uh, when Ali contacted me um, in one of our little chats that we have to say that Steph and herself were inviting me, I was really genuinely thrilled because this has felt, out of all the projects I've been in, this has really felt like family. I, you know, I couldn't have handpicked any better people to, you know, be in an anthology with, and that yes. really is from the heart. Um, when I say on Twitter, you know, my sisters, that's exactly how it feels. 
So it was a no-brainer for me. There's no way I was going to say no. So I was very grateful. Um, uh, I think I, I had either just published Mists and Megalis, my collection, or I was just about to publish it. So a lot of my short stories were that I'd already written were taken up with that. And I had a few other shorts that were already out on submission because sort of opposite to you, Nat, in a way, I, I'm very much a short story writer. I struggle more with longer work, though I do write both. Um, but luckily, I had just finished the first draft of The Spider and the Stag, which came from a dream. Um, a lot of my work comes from dreams, weirdly, because I'm, I'm just not a visual person at all. But I will wake up remembering bizarre dreams in detail. And I know you've probably, you know, all read it. So but for obviously for the listening audience, I just had this bizarre dream one night where I was at the side of a lake and it was all misty and out of the lake came a stag and sort of we faced each other and then stared into each other's eyes but I could see that round his antlers was a mass of I couldn't tell first of all if it was mist but the closer I got I realized that it was an entanglement of spider web mm. and as I got closer and closer to him he seemed really distressed and he was sort of pawing the ground and as I got closer I could see that the spider web was agitated and I saw then that it was full of butterflies and the butterflies were trying to escape the web, but couldn't free themselves because they were stuck, obviously. And he was trying to free them by moving his head. So as soon as I woke up with that, I made some notes and I just had to write it down. But the, the it's a novella and it came out at about 22,000 words. And like I said, I had just about finished the first draft. So for me, rather than short stories, you know, I, I remember saying to Ali, it's just over the 20,000. Is that OK? And she said, yes. So I just went, you know, back then and revised and edited that. So it was very good timing for me because I had a motel due out within a few months as well. You know, so there was quite a lot going on. So I didn't have to actually start from scratch. I was able to submit something that, you know, I already sort of had. I was going to ask you what where you'd got that inspiration from. That is such a striking image mm. with the stag and the webs and the butterflies trapped in it. It's yeah. extraordinary. I was going. To, I wanted to ask you where you've got that from. That's amazing. Yeah. So I then, as you know, you know, I sort of used the metaphor of the spider and yeah. the symbolism and tied it in with the folklore and witchcraft and so on. That's where it came from. Yeah, oh, it's always interesting. I think how stories come to us and when stories come to us through dream fragments I think they become I don't know we try and find the personal theme behind it don't we yeah definitely well about oh, Ali then sorry can I just ask Ali then why what stories she chose for Daughters of Darkness 1 which which of that you know how you came to choose those stories we did allow poetry in Daughters of Darkness 1 didn't we yeah yeah, so we agreed we could have a mix of poetry and prose. So I I picked a couple that nearly got in uh, a couple of magazines, one that nearly got in with Nightmare magazine that I really liked, uh, or um, Within the Walls, I think it was called. And I needed a longer one as well to balance out my word count, which was the one set in uh, uh, the Midwest and the Depression era, the blasted tree in the little western town. And I also wanted a couple of 
a couple of poems. So I picked a mix of what was new and what I really liked and a couple of poems. So it wasn't very complicated. I don't I never have a very big uh, store because I'm not that prolific. And I have big gaps in between where I don't always write much, as you know. So I only had a certain amount to choose from anyway. But I think Teresa wanted to put in her Jack the Ripper Whitechapel link stories, mm. didn't she? Because she was very, mm. um, very keen on those and they were a good choice. And also she particularly liked that poem, Freaks and Geeks. Yeah, that's about, good one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What about you, Beth? Um, well, I, I'm the one that put in four short stories, so I'm the rebel. <laughs> um, I, I think I kind of just wanted to do like just a little mini showcase of, of what, what I'd already written or what I liked to write. I mean, the only the only one out of my four that had been published before was The Secret of Westport Fell, which was in Diabolica Britannica. And that was kind of my really gothic tale. Again, that was set at the seaside. And, and like you say, Lynn, it's just the atmosphere, isn't it, of those crashing waves against the cliffs and the mist. And yeah, it, the setting does it for you, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And then there was um, Tender is the Heart, which is my historical one, uh, kind of medieval, which goes into um, villages and plagues and things that are undead. I won't say anything more about that. Um, A Whiteness of Swans is contemporary uh, body horror, which I don't do much of. Um, and then The Boy Who Wore My Name is kind of a blend of history mixed with the present, which is kind of what I write about a lot anyway. So I thought it was a good kind of a mixture of things for my showcase. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that last one, the boy who wore my name, is just fantastic, the way that you've used Dorian Gray in there. Thank you. I, I, I had that rejected from another anthology. So, uh, yeah, from a, a big one. But as soon as they rejected it, I thought, I don't care because I'm going to use it yeah. in Steph and Alice. Yeah. <laughs> I you wanted a couple of longer short stories, didn't you, for you, for you, for Daughters of Darkness, one, Steph? You put um, pages in and one other, didn't you? Yeah, I, I did, though. The two stories I had were both stories that had been held um, for a long time where I'd, at the places I'd submitted to, and they finally rejected them, both said reluctantly. But I had them to hand, and because it's partly because I knew I was going to be doing a lot of the formatting and things like that, and that was going to be a lot of work, that I had the stories all, all ready. So that's why I chose them. But they were also because there were two stories that I really liked. Beyond Hope, which is a sort of gothic ghost story out in the middle of nowhere. Um, that was a strange length. I think it's about 12,000 words and you can't find, there aren't a lot of markets for those. Yeah. So I put that in there because I, really, I remember writing that and I put on a lot of, there was Gregorian chants I was listening to. I can remember just listening to that on Spotify while I wrote that. I enjoyed writing that one. And then Painted Ladies was another one. Um, and it's very much part of this attitude towards how women look. And it's my objections in a way to how society and women themselves feel they have to wear a mask 
and instead of being able to show themselves freely and always feeling worried about how they look and so it's it's a horror sort of based on that idea of somebody trying to put these women right to show them that they can look truly beautiful without the makeup unfortunately other things are removed as well <laughs> so it does get a bit painful but they, they were stories I really liked and I wanted to see out there but it was also because they were there ready and I could just then focus on as I said the formatting mm. and the cover well that cover I didn't do that was Francois Ballancourt with the first one because Theresa offered us that one but um all that side of things does take a lot of time so when I'm doing anthologies it's a bit like the um infernal clock inferno um mm -hmm. I was doing the cover then so of course you have I, well I picked up a story that I'd already got I make sure they're good stories but knowing that I'm going to be formatting and maybe doing a cover or something like that mm -hmm. I often go for the easier option of finding something that I've got, already got yeah. and writing something new. because I, I do write a lot of shorts and I try to get them out there which means I usually have a few um sort of tucked away that I still like that I just need to find a home for um I'm still like that <laughs> they just keep circling around and coming back yeah. there's a zombie story that's in the weird book at the minute and that zombie story was amongst the first I wrote and it must be about five years old now and it was accepted at the time but and it was supposed to be published, the contract signed, but the press folded. And it's finally found a home. <laughs> so it shows my stories might come out in sort of 10 years in the future. But yeah, so a little bit stuff that I've already got there that I think are good, but will relieve the pressure on me doing the other side of work as well. But now these other daughters do not include me or, or Ali. Those those books will be for other other writers. It's it's not as bad because then I can just focus on the formatting and Ali does a lot of the editing and you know it's quite a good team I think it works well and the quality is pretty good I so I say it myself I think well, I, don't, I don't think we've had any uh, any bad reviews so far have we which is always a good thing yeah. Okay. I was going to say, Shane, you were muted. I don't know if you were about to yeah. ask the question. <laughs> I'd always do that, and then by the time I remember to unmute my mic, I don't remember what the hell I was going to say. Um, what is, uh, well, so you, you've got uh, another Daughter of Darkness probably next year. Yeah. Um, what is everybody, what are you guys, what are your major projects right now? other than other Daughters of Darkness stuff, starting Kath. Um, I have a short story coming out with British Fantasy Society Horizons any day now. It was actually due a few months ago, the issue, but they've been having problems with the printing, apparently. And um, that's, that's one I'm really looking forward to because Tony designed the front cover to go with the story. So it's his cover on the issue and my story inside. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Um, I have a story coming out this week on the 17th called Instinct with um, Up From The Depths anthology. That's a little bit um, different to what I normally write. It's modern horror and is set in America. But I've always been really interested in the concept of instinct. So I sort of personify instinct as a little being inside a person. 
and things go wrong. So I'm, I, I really do love that story. So that's coming out this week. I have another one coming out very soon, which I'm not allowed to actually say what that's with at the moment, but you'll probably be aware of it within the next week. And I'm working on a novel at the moment, which is, um, I'm sort of really challenging myself with this. I'm at 30,000 words at the moment, first draft. Wow. Uh, it's more of a psychological suspense type novel with mm. epistolary sort of features. Yeah. Okay. yeah. And you find that because 30,000 words is quite often a killer. It is. Uh, yeah, yeah. You get I was pulling my hair yeah. out this week. I mean, last, the last two weeks I achieved practically that's because I'm not a planner. But I had all these ideas and, you know, I knew exactly what sort of plot points were going to be in the story, but they weren't actually timelined. I had them all on a document all over the place. So this week I forced yeah. myself to spend an afternoon actually plotting it on a timeline. And yeah. since then, it's really helped. I, like I had a really good writing session today. I've done more this last few days since putting it into a timeline than I have in the last three weeks but it's always the middle for me. I'm fine yeah. with beginnings, yeah. Yeah. Fine yeah. Ends, but it's sustaining that middle and linking all the points, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so someone once described the middle to me as like a swamp and you can yeah. gather either sink or you can claw your way through yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. I just finished writing in the middle of a book I haven't written the beginning or end to yet, so... <laughs> <laughs> That's probably the best way to do it. Start in the middle. Because then it's like the so. beginning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is, that, is that true now, Shane? Yeah, I don't write anything linear. Not really. Oh, wow. I, I can't even begin to think how that works. <laughs> uh, it um, works. I'm the same yeah. sometimes. Oh, I can't. I could never. I start. I yeah. I was yeah. saying to Shane that if you get stuck, you write a scene that's in your head. Yeah. yeah, or a couple of scenes, and then you just sort of join it up. It becomes yeah. a bit dot to dot. It's like a figure of eight, and you go all around the houses to get back to the. Yeah. That's fascinating. It shows how different brains work, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Really is fascinating about the whole process. What, what are you What are you working on, Nat? Oh God! So I, um, funny in fact, so I'm working on the um, the the solo one is the hummingbird stuff. Mm. So um, I've written hummingbird three, which is massive actually I, I had this idea that they were all going to be about the same size and now they seem to be turning into kind of matryoshka dolls and the first one is the smallest and I feel like the sixth one's going to be about novel sized so who knows um but now I've got the third one sorted I'm on the fourth one now um but that's it. I'm doing that quite sporadically just because there's um well, work's been really busy because I um I run a cultural insight agency and we tend to have um sort of quite sort of fallow periods that are then immediately followed by insane periods of activity mm. <laughs> and we've just entered a period of insane activity at the minute so I'm kind of um I'm really tied up with work but um the other thing that I'm working on um sort of writing wise is um <laughs> with E so Edward Lorne um that I worked on Maidens with um Maiden rather with um sort of working through ideas now for the Maiden sequel which mm. is a so Maiden um just for everybody I don't know if anyone's kind of come across it, but it's yeah, it's about evil mermaids basically um, in the Bering Strait, which is very out of my comfort zone. But um, we basically wanted to write sort of isolation horror, 
Mm-hmm. And um, he was very big on writing something that was um, sort of set on a it, um, kind of a like a, a crab boat, like a crab fishing boat, um, which I knew nothing at all about going in. And I spent a long time finding out about the exact dimensions of fishing boats um, <laughs> because I'm from Leicester and we have no water here of any kind. <laughs> um, but it it was, it was a big learning curve. But um, I in my head, it was very much like kind of alien out in the Arctic with mermaids. Yeah. Um, but we we had such a good time writing it basically that we decided that we were going to write a sequel. Um, so we've been kind of plotting that out now, and that's we haven't started writing it yet. But I think that's that's going to be the next thing that we both work on once we've wrapped up our solo stuff. Um, but we also more generally we've got a few projects. Again, they're very much at the kind of simmering stage. But um, so it's it's me, me, E, and um, Darren Kalpoff. I don't know if um, anybody knows him, but they they work oh, together on um, other things. They've actually just co-written something called the the Wicked Wrecks of the West which I um, I edited, which is a sort of mashup of Jurassic Park and The Wizard of Oz, which is hilarious. <laughs> but, um, it's um, the, the three of us together, we're, we're doing, it, it's a bit grandiose to call it a publishing company because it's really just a sort of a clearinghouse for the things that the three of us do together, the sort of ridiculous ideas that we come up with, but it's called Hold My Beer. Um, so Maiden came out as Hold My uh, came out under Hold My Beer Publishing, um, and I think Maiden I don't know where Maiden's coming out actually, but um, not Maiden sorry where where the Wicked Wretch the Re- Wicked Rex of the West is coming out, but um, we're going to be doing a few things next year under Hold My Beer. Um, so yeah, one of them is going to be the Maiden sequel, um, and then yeah, in terms of solo stuff, I've got the Hummingbird thing coming out hopefully well I say coming out I need to obviously write it first so finishing it and then publishing it <laughs> you will you will and and, um, and and around that time you also got Christmas coming up and you've got young kids you'll fit them in yeah. somewhere <laughs> I've got so many pockets of time just knocking around you know absolutely <laughs> really just about you know pushing through that writer's block oh well what, what about you Ali um good question Bev uh I've got a couple out at the moment because like buses they all come at once so I've got a story in Night Frights with Perpetual Motion Publishing which is YA horror which I was really pleased to get in because I started out writing YA years ago and the paperback arrived from the States the other day which was great and I've also got as as I think you've all been in Kath Bev I know you've been in with Candice Press. Yeah. I'm in uh, number four anthology called Don't Break the Oath with a, awesome. a creepy story set on the moor. Um, and I've got a story in a magazine, a women's magazine, first time ever, next Tuesday called Seven Days, which is in horror. But it does have a twist in the tale and it does have a dark uh, note in it, but it's not um, horror. But that was quite exciting to break through. Uh, next year, I have a story coming out with Space and Time magazine, which got postponed from being published this summer due to COVID and staffing issues. And that's coming out in spring now, um, spring, yeah, next year, which uh, is, I'm really, really, that's that was just staggering to me when I got in with Space and Time. Um, I'm, I'm still a bit amazed about that and thrilled. Uh, really supportive editor, Angela. Um, and, and lovely sort of comments about that. And I'm also, as I mentioned, bringing out my own, for myself really, my dark poetry collection, because I want to put my work in one place. And there'll be the next couple of dark 
uh, Black Angel projects as well. So, you're, you're definitely busy then, Ali. <laughs> I've got oh, that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've got a poem coming out in, I think, that issue of Space and Time as well. Okay. Oh, um, right. Huge, huge bucket list publication there. Um, yeah. I was stoked yeah. about that one. Yeah. What's, what's your poem called, Shane? What's the title? Oh, good Lord. <laughs> It's not the one with my name on it in the. Um, I have no idea. Um, have I read it, Shane? Yes, you have. It's the one about the poet that they launched into space. Oh, I liked um, that one. But I don't. I can't remember the title. I. Uh, it's a really. It's a really good poem. <laughs> I'll make it the also. I'll send it. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, as you say, real bucket list. It was, it was for me actually. Yeah. Mm. What? And what? And what about you, Lynn? We, we, well, we kind of know what's coming up for you, Lynn. But do you want to tell all our, all our listeners? Yeah, I've just um, managed to get an agent. So um, the book that the um, my Daughters of Darkness two story is inspired by. That's the book that I've got the agent with. So it's, it's a novel set in 1974 during um, the three-day week, which was a time in the UK when there were lots of strikes and the coal miners went on strike and um, there were a lot of power cuts and food shortages and petrol shortages and things like that. And um, it's a teenage clairvoyant who... Um, moves into a house that's um, haunted by six ghosts and he finds um, some pages of a diary in an attic and yeah it's all about him finding out who wrote the attic diary and um, what it's got to do with his own past so I'll be yeah hopefully getting some edit notes soon and doing the, another draft of that yeah so yeah that's yeah, it's really exciting. Well, I'll be keep, keeping our fingers crossed for you. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thank I love you. the sound of it. It's a great um, sort of period to set it in, I yeah. think. Yeah. I, I like um, that sort of connecting the horror and the ghost stories with some yeah. sort of social issues and yeah. you know, that, that sort of big social upheaval and events that went on. So... I quite like Guillermo del Toro, mm-hmm. some of his earlier Spanish films for that, like Pan's Labyrinth and things yeah. like that. Oh, the, yeah, The Devil's Backbone. Yes, yeah. yes. The Devil's Backbone, yeah. I love that film. Fantastic mm-hmm. film. There's, you know, with the, the war and all the, the social yeah. that's going on there, as well as linking these sort of ghost stories to it as well. So I really love that. So, yeah. yeah, hopefully that's kind of what I'm doing with with the book as well. So. The orphanage was uh, that was one of his. That was brilliant. The orphanage. Mm. Yeah, yeah, watching yeah. all of his. Mm. Yeah. And well, what about you, Steph? What's what's coming up for you? Uh, there's an anthology that's coming out. I think it's the end of November. A quiet apocalypse. It's the sort of shared world. It's a world that was created by Dave Jeffrey in his. Um, I'm going to get it wrong. A silent dystopia. I think is the first one. <laughs> I always get it wrong. 
and cathedral series. So he created this world and then a number of us have written stories set in that world. So I think Kev's in there, uh, John Palisano. So that, that's out at the end of November. Um, my edits for mm. Pause, which is my novella with Silver Shamrock, they've just been sent to Kenneth Kane. So he'll be sending me a list of words that I overuse and <laughs> telling me off again. <laughs> that's, that's a novella. Um, it's a sort of present day or near futurish situation. And it's it's I, I, it's the idea of the locked in syndrome. Uh, you, you've probably read about in paper people just in, in hospital and they're still there, but they can't respond in any way. But I took that out into society because I thought, what would happen? It's a bit like a reverse zombie. What would happen if your body shut down, but your brain was still active? So you could see things happening around you and you could sort of have your little voice in your head talking, but you couldn't react in any way. And if you froze at a moment, I think there's a situation where I've got someone lighting those barrage fireworks and they freeze at the moment <laughs> that they go to light it. And you're, and they cannot move, and so it's it's that sort of idea of what happens when the body shuts down. But whether it's a virus or whether it's something else is, you'll have to find out when you read it. But it's a bit of a disaster movie in a novella, which I I enjoyed reading. It was a bit graphic, but um, I liked it. But that's sort of due out early next year, and then there is this sort of found poetry project that I've been working on with someone. And we're hoping to get that out at the beginning of February and maybe saying more about it December onwards, because it is found poetry based on some other poets' work within the industry. Um, they're aware of it and they're reading it at the minute and we're getting feedback and it's all looking really good. So that'll be out next year. And I know there's Under Her Skin. Ali's in that as well, aren't you? Um, from Black Spot Books, Poetry. That's coming out next year. Are you in that, Bev? In that one? Uh, no, I'm, I'm in the HWA um, poetry yeah. anthology. Yeah, we're both. We're, yeah, we're waiting for that one at the moment. Yeah. So there's poetry coming out. There's a novella. There's this collection, this joint project that I've been working on, and I think there's the zombie annual weird book at the moment. So I've got stories out. You know, like midnight from behind from beyond the stars I keep calling it midnight from the cosmos but it's not I always get book titles wrong so I've got short stories out and then maybe in the summer I know I'm they've got a novel of mine so maybe another book out next year as well as the novella we'll see but um so so quite busy a, a pretty quiet year then really yeah that and horror tree <laughs> <laughs> and, and Daughters of Darkness 3 amongst all of that. Darkness, yeah. Yes. yeah yeah that's why I gave up the day job <laughs> to do all this. Um, How about you, Bev? I haven't actually got any shorts due out for the first time in about two years. So, yeah, that's it feels a bit weird not to have anything coming up. But um, The House of Little Bones just took so long yeah. to write and rewrite and get out. And then, of course, I wanted to plough all my attention into um, the things for Daughters of Darkness. So I have just started a new work in progress. Um, it's about 18,000 words and it's at that stage where I've got the characters and I've got the setting but it's just getting the thread to kind of wind it together. It's kind of very loosely like 
um, a cross between we've always lived in the castle and um, a historical setting of a sailing schooner that gets lost in the Arctic and what happened when only one man comes home. Oh. That's all. Can I just say, if you need any hints on Arctic fishing, <laughs> I am can I can I come to you? Can I come to you, Nat, for all these sort of dimensions of sports and sails? <laughs> can come to me about anything related to crab trawlers. Perfect. <laughs> Actually, I was quite interested, Nat, um, and a slight tangent when I saw and when you were back on Twitter that you joined up with, um, is it Edward Lawn? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, now you're going to work with him again. I wondered how, rather like, um, though we've not co-written anything, obviously Steph and I are working a lot together, but I wondered how you came to decide to write with somebody else and why you wrote with Edward. Oh, so it was actually... I mean, I think it speaks a little bit to what we were talking about earlier about community. So he, um, before I knew him as a writer, I... I used to watch his YouTube videos when I was cooking oh. and um, I'd normally if I was making dinner for the kids or something I'd put he um, he did he does on his YouTube channel a lot of kind of Stephen King themed videos um, so he does sort of you know King top 10 short stories King top 10 novels about clowns or you know that kind of thing um, and spoiler number one is always it he is obsessed with it <laughs> but um, so I just I got really into his videos and then I got really he just he we have a similar sense of humor um yeah, he's very yeah. he's he's very serious about his writing but very daft about everything else and i really enjoy that um so and he doesn't i don't know you know there's a lot of kind of sort of internal politics around writing and within the writing community and stuff and he doesn't take any of that very seriously and i just i love that um and he's just a really he's a really good solid bloke um, so we just we just got to chatting about stuff and then um, it turns out that we were sort of interested in writing similar things um, and then he kind of he read Saltblood um, which is a, my first torrent book actually and um, it's sort of set on an island out in the middle of nowhere and um, there are no crab trawlers in it from memory but somehow he got the idea that because um, he had he had a, a vague idea for you know, what made naught to be that he'd been playing around with for a few years which was that he wanted he wanted to write a horror story set on a crab fishing boat in the Arctic, basically. Um, so he came to me with it and then we kind of sketched out some ideas for characters and things together. And then we just kind of got to writing. And it's it's actually it's been quite amusing because I um, I went into it thinking that we were very different writers stylistically because he's quite his novels are kind of the equivalent of in your face theatre, I would say. <laughs> you know, they're quite yeah. they get quite extreme. They get quite they kind of revel in the sort of the the detail of things and especially kind of the the detail of gore um I mean which I apparently do but not deliberately I think I just have a habit of getting very specific about describing things and whether I'm describing somebody's sink or a decapitated corpse it's kind of immaterial I still like to throw a few <laughs> adjectives at it but um yep. he, he, we, when we started writing together um with our styles actually blended quite well and then when we finished it, I think it was quite it was quite a different experience for both of us stylistically, actually not in terms of content necessarily. Mm. But um, we both also are editors um, as well as writers. And actually, I, I've edited some of his novels. Um, so when it came to actually blending it together, it ended up being quite seamless. But when we released it, um, the, a lot of the a lot of the reviews mentioned that they could see which bits were mine and which bits were ease. 
so you know like they could see that mine was sort of more you know kind of quiet horror and character driven stuff and his was much more you know and then the mermaid eviscerated the guy but actually <laughs> thinking back on what we were writing I remember taking great delight in writing the, evis the evisceration scenes and the, you know the kind of the, the gory grisly stuff and um, one of the reviews that we got um we talked a lot about how they they had to stop reading it because there were just too many bodily fluids and um, yeah hands in the air they were mine Frankly, they were my bodily fluids. Um, so it was actually, it was it was fascinating, but we we both just had a really good time doing it. I mean, I think as with anything, and I know it's probably the same with Steph and Ali, you know, when you, when you write with somebody or when you do any kind of creative project with somebody, you've got to get along well. And most of it stems from your friendship. You know, it stems from the fact that you enjoy each other's company, that you've got, you know, a shared sense of humour, that you've got shared goals in terms of what you want to be putting together. So... I mean, I know he, he is a lovely, lovely man. I, I love him like a brother. And if I didn't, I think I'd struggle to work with him. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's it's much more about the fact that we have a similar sense of humour and that we you know think similarly about the world and the writing kind of yeah. strengthens that. Mm -hmm. I think if I was trying to write something with somebody that I just didn't get along with, I I wouldn't be interested quite aside from anything else, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, he's been a... Yeah. He's... He is probably my longest running friend in the horror community um, and one of my best ones uh, has been for probably since 2014, just a sweetheart. Yeah, he's just um, a really good egg. I think there's this perception because of the sense of humor, which is, you know, he doesn't yeah. take anything seriously, that he, you know, that he's, a, he's sort of daft, but he's a very yeah. sweet, very thoughtful guy and he won't he, he wouldn't hurt a fly and I think sometimes people no. get the perception because of what he writes that he's a very different sort of guy than he is but he's just he's a lovely yeah. lovely man he really is he really is and he's funnier than hell yes uh, <laughs> uh he doesn't a lot of people think he's an asshole because he doesn't take any bullshit but you know that's part of that is one of the reasons that I actually get along with him because yeah, it's, it's it's the whole you know not taking it very seriously. I mean, he takes the yeah. writing seriously. It's his job. You know, he writes for a living. But but also so much of the politics around it, so much of the right. capital D discourse around it is a bit ridiculous. You know what I mean? And I, I love that he's got no time for self-importance. <laughs> I do too. I do too. Um, and he's also. I was drinking one night, and I made a joke with him, and he wrote a book. Um, so yeah, if you ever, he's that guy, he's that guy that if you ever want to dare someone to do something, um, he's not afraid. So, cause we were joking. Oh God, he's, he's the reason I wrote my one and only Western. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I know there's Shana stuff and I we've talked about this previously, but we were literally just joking around one night on Twitter about like a Stephen King book cover which looked very much as if it were, you know, it was going to be an, an old West exploration of lesbian desire, possibly with killer clowns. And so <laughs> it, it wasn't, as it turns out, it was later. But um, he was like, well, you should just write it then. And so I did. Although, spoiler, there are no killer clowns in Salvation Spring. And frankly, I think it's a poorer novel for it. So, next time. That's kind of funny how that ties in, though, because I the joke I made to him was that he he was laughing at my friend Brandy's screen name, which was Mr. Boobs. Or Uncle oh, Boobs. Uncle Boobs. Is that how Uncle Boobs came about? 
Yeah, I say you should write a novel about a clown named Uncle Boobs, E, and there he goes off. He's off to the races with a clown named Uncle Boobs. I am delighted to report that I edited Uncle Boobs. <laughs> <laughs> I could not be prouder of having helped bring it forth into the world. <laughs> you could write a story about killer clowns on a crabbing boat. Oh, right? well, I mean, what do you think the sequel's about? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, sorry. Major digression. But uh, yeah, um, don't anybody tell him that we were talking nice about him because that shit goes to his head. Um, but uh, it's uh, getting late in you guys' neck of the woods, so don't let me keep you yakking because I can go all day long. Um, I take medication for ADHD and it's like heavy duty uppers. So, you know, if you want to keep talking all night. Here I am. Um, <laughs> but I assume you want to go to bed at some point in time. So uh, don't let me miss anything. If there's something you all want to cover that we have not covered, now is the moment. Um. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, uh, everyone's going, God, just let me get the hell out of here now. <laughs> I, think, I think we've covered quite a lot of ground. Yeah. Yeah, and we talked yeah. about, um, you know, daughters and Black Angel and our own writing. So nothing comes to my mind, but. Excellent. Anyone well, else? No, covered all my questions. Um, you all have excellent, excellent work. Um, Nat. Beverly Lynn Kath um, in Daughters of Darkness too. I highly recommend the book to everybody who's listening. Um, I am going to seek out the first one and check that one out too, and you should as well. Um, and I know that every single one of these authors is 100% top shelf material. And if you have not read them, look them up, find their work, read their books. They're fucking brilliant. Um, thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Take care, guys. Love yeah. it. Bye. 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 It's like the Brady Bunch saying good night or something. <laughs> <laughs>